welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper as we continue our series titled Choose Life, looking at the book of Deuteronomy. My name is Clayton Ryan and I'm a member of the 9am service. And this week we'll be discussing Deuteronomy chapter 17 with Ken Davies and we'll be focusing on verses 14 to 20 and the topic of kingship. So Ken, how are you on this beautiful sunny day? I'm very well. I'm enjoying not having to have a jacket on, Yes, <laughs> uh, going for bike rides and it's not freezing. Yes. So yeah, it's a good time of year when winter comes but then disappears for a little while again. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> now, you mentioned at the start of the sermon on Sunday that over the next three weeks we'll be broadly looking through chapters 12 to 25. I think sort of quite broadly yep. sometimes. But, and the sermons are going to be different from the home groups to help us cover a few more of the topics yep. that come up. So can you share with us a little bit of the thinking behind the scenes as to why you chose to preach on kingship? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the whole principle is that we want to show a methodology that's useful in other places. And so rather than saying, okay, we're going to give you all the answers for every passage, mm-hmm. pick an exemplary passage, which is then shows the model really clearly, which can then be used in other places. Yeah. Uh, and so with regards to kingship, um, I'd actually heard a friend, uh, shout out to Stefan Pon, uh, <laughs> who's an Austrian who's back in Austria doing gospel ministry there, mm-hmm. uh, leading a church. And, uh, and he actually preached on this passage while he was at Bible college, and I happened to hear it. And I thought that's such a helpful way of analyzing the mm. problems that kings were given to. And then for me, that just set a helpful example for how do we understand what's going on here as uh, genuine rules that mm. if Israel responded to wrongly, there were consequences. If they responded to them rightly, there would be good things that came out of it. Yep. Uh, and yet this was pressing on to actually be preparing them for Jesus. And when Jesus perfectly fulfills it, it doesn't mean, mm. okay, well, that's job done. Yeah. There's still principles in there for us that just because Jesus fulfilled it doesn't mean that there's not something I can learn for how I should and shouldn't behave. Yeah. And so I think it's set that up really nicely to show that this text is operating at a whole bunch of different levels. Yeah. And all of those things are right to be seeing in the passage. And if, as a Christian, we don't mm. see some of these things, then we're actually not reading them correctly. Okay. Thanks for that. That's really mm. helpful to just be thinking about you're giving us tools so we can go home and read the bits that we haven't covered on a Sunday or home group. Yeah, logistically, there's mm. just no way on earth that if even if we spoke on two chapters a week, mm. we wouldn't get through the whole of the Bible in your lifetime. Yeah. And so we've got to be making sure that we're doing things that will then be transferable to somewhere else. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I'll just check the... Um, the algorithms to see if anyone's tuned in from <laughs> Austria next week. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be at least one <laughs> one listening. Now, I suspect this will be a bit easier uh, for you than it is most weeks because mm-hmm. uh, it's a shorter passage. But can you give us a quick recap of your sermon from Sunday to remind us of the, the main points? Yeah, yeah. Um, so chapter, chapter 17, verse 14 starts with a prophetic judgment. Uh, so my take on that verse is that it's actually Moses telling Israel in advance that in 500 years' time, you're going to, even though God's done everything good for you as your king, you're going to reject him as king and ask for a king just like everybody else has. Mm. 
God's going to graciously accede to that request. And so that leads into the second section, which is the four W's of picking rulers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, looking at where he's from, uh, his weapons, his wives, and his wealth. Mm -hmm. And these are the four uh, examples of things that he can put his trust in, like the kings around him are putting trust in. Yep. And these are all dead ends. And so therefore, uh, in the final section, uh, verses 18 to 20, there's this one W that's actually given, which mm. is God's word, which is the antidote to all of these dead ends. And so you've got to trust in God's word, uh, take him at his word and, and put it into practice. Mm. And if you do that, then things will go well. Yeah, which is broadly scattered all throughout Deuteronomy, isn't it? Like, remember. Yeah. And don't keep looking outside. Yeah, and very yeah. and very commonly uh, kind of uh, going into the explicits of when you go down the wrong track, these are the things that are going to come true. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's this predictive, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do it wrong. And when you do it wrong, this is how I'm going to fix it up. Yeah. And I find it yeah. fascinating that as we, particularly this kind of verse, that God would give them these rules about how to set a king over Israel before they even had a land for themselves, like let alone a kingdom. Um, you know, it'd be another 500 years before they were going to ask for a king. And I don't know if the Bible actually answers this question, but in your preparation, did you come to any reasoning as to why God would give these rules to them and not just wait another 500 years? Yeah, um, there, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything explicit. It's actually mm. really interesting because this passage is really significant to the sceptical scholars. There's a bunch of people that write about the Old Testament, mm. and their assumption is is that there's so much information that's given in advance of things that have taken place. Mm. What must be going on is they're actually writing after the event and yeah, pretending yeah. Yeah. like it was written in advance. Um, and so in opposition to that is passages like we looked at last year from Isaiah chapter 44 verse 8 mm -hmm. that God's saying I was the one who told you in advance this is what was going to happen yeah. and now that it's actually happened that's further evidence that I'm the one that's in control and mm. you're just doing what I always said you would do yeah. uh, and so I think the 500 years in advance is just putting it so far before anything that's taken before it's taken place mm. that you can look back on that and say oh wow god really did know us really well yeah he knew exactly what our problems were going to be he pointed them out before anyone could have guessed that's what they were because we weren't even in the land to have these mm. temptations yeah and yet these are the things that we've always struggled with and this was his solution to it i wonder if we follow the solution where that'll lead yeah 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 there can be no arguments that they just sort of came up with yeah this just before yeah yeah, yeah. now the four w's that you mentioned in your um, recap, I thought was a really helpful way to see what kind of king uh, mm. should be ruling over Israel. So where are they from? Weapons, wives, and wealth. Now, the where and the wives seems pretty obvious. You know, he must be one of them. Mm -hmm. And I think one wife kind of points to um, you know, commitment, stability, um, not being sort of you know, just your attention and everything sort of all over the place. Mm -hmm. It seems a bit crazy that a nation, and especially one that's going to be right smack bang in the middle of all these different Eastern, um, ancient Eastern cultures, that they were to not have an army. And how on earth is a monarch to avoid being wealthy? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that the place that so much fighting is going on at the moment to suggest, mm. okay, well, don't spend any money on your military budget. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit reckless, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think in the end that God was telling them not to have an army at all because mm. the reality is, is the whole of Israel as they're wandering around in the wilderness is an army yeah. and they're encamped around their king. Yeah. Um, but what he's making very clear is to not put your trust in your army yeah. because what the other kings and the nations around you are going to do is they're going to count how many people have they got in their army, how many horses have they got, how many chariots have they got, mm. who, who's the really tall guys amongst them. Yeah. Uh, and that'll prove that we've got a better army than you, so you better submit when we tell you we're coming in. Yeah. And David did this. He actually counted the numbers of his army, even mm. though Job, the commander of his army, said, don't do this, David, yeah. this is really bad. And then David, in hindsight, reflects and says, oh, I'm trusting in what I've got rather than in who mm. is in control. Uh, and so I think at the at the heart of this is not actually a, re- a, a demand for Israel to be without an army, mm. but it's saying don't put your trust in your army. Yeah. And so likewise with the wealth, can a king have wealth? Yes. Um, but if his trust is in his wealth mm. uh, and if his purpose in his wealth is so that he will be great, yeah. well, that's not going to make you great. The greatest king will be the king who gives away his wealth to, yeah. uh, and shares it with his subjects. Yeah. And so there is a perhaps something here about uh, the one in power doesn't also then become the most wealthy, but he's yeah. sharing it. It's yeah. A, kind of almost leaning towards socialism. Um, But there's something in this that uh, Israel is required very clearly Mm. to look after the orphan and the widow, the people that don't have land. Uh, And so the person who is great with their wealth is not the person who hangs on to it, but the person who shares it. Yeah. As you're saying that too, images came to mind, one of David Mm. standing on the rooftop, um, gazing over his kingdom, Mm -hmm. and that's when he falls. Yep. And then same with Nebuchadnezzar, Mm. when he's out gazing across all his wondrous kingdom and how amazing he was. Yeah. That's when God made him like an animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Now, it seems a big ask to expect um, God's people and God's king not to trust in anything except God, like to put their wholehearted trust in anything except God. Do you think this is really reasonable? No. (laughs) It's a very unreasonable request of God, who's Mm. in control of all things, to suggest that we shouldn't put our trust in weaker things than him. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There's a logic to it, and I I think that there's something in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a lot of people know that the idea of the acceptable sacrifice or the logical sacrifice or your Mm. spiritual sacrifice, there's a a translational issue of what our sacrifice actually is. Mm. Uh, But there seems to be that this is consistent with reality, um, that if you put your trust in something lesser than God, then you're putting it in something that's not worthy of, of, of your trust. Mm. And so it's not saying don't have wealth. It's not saying – so for an example from my life is when I was younger, I thought, okay, well, this is saying just trust in God. So when you go overseas, don't bother having uh, overseas health insurance. Yeah, yeah. Just trust in God the whole time because if you're putting money into that, you're just being like your neighbours mm. who don't – who are trying to set themselves up and protect themselves from all these things that could happen in the future. Yeah. And so is it wise or is it reckless to not have health insurance as you travel overseas? Yeah. Well, I would actually say that it's the right thing to do now. Yeah. But at the time I was thinking, oh, no, no, this is just showing that I'm just like everyone else. Yeah. Um, and yet there can be a danger 
that as we start to uh, have insurance and we have a, a nest egg that we're putting aside or our superannuation, yeah. that yeah. actually our trust goes to those things rather yeah. than the God who provides those things for us or the yeah. ability uh, to, to develop wealth. Uh, and so the danger is always not in the activity, mm. but in the uh, importance that we give to that thing. Yeah. And so is it right to be carefully budgeting? Uh, yes. Can you budget too carefully that you're actually trying to control things? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what should I do? Well, be careful as you do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that all of these things are, are principles that we've got to recognize that there's always a fine line yeah. uh, between uh, being reckless and trusting in God. Yeah. And there's a, an element of wisdom to be had in all these things. Yeah, yeah, and, and well. constantly reevaluating because yeah. something that you might be doing okay and have a, a, a correct perspective on at one point in time, mm. over time just drifts without even without you realizing that actually now now that's become too important to me. I used to think it was really important to uh, do something towards my health. Mm. Now I'm obsessing with it, and I'm actually trying to control it rather than trusting God for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as well, a lot of when I was maybe in the late twenties, the discussion in our church was many young professionals seemed to be, "Oh, is it wrong to put money into you know pension mm -hmm. and all that? Uh, should I just be trusting in God that He will provide?" And yep. yeah, yeah, coming back to him, well, it's wise to put that thing to be contributing towards your super, yep, and a pension because otherwise you just become a burden to everyone else. He said, "But are you putting so much?" in that you can't actually commit to the kingdom now yeah kingdom yep. work now yep yeah so it's good and reasonable to trust in god but let's not be reckless and foolish yeah yeah because yeah. recklessness is not actually trust it's actually yeah. just being silly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's underline that one <laughs> it's just being silly <laughs> now first kings uh chapters 10 and 11 uh, that you pointed us to to mm. go home and read. So I did that, and it's a pretty sad state of affairs, mm. and pun totally intended mm -hmm. in that. So we look at the kingship of Solomon in there, and in chapter 11, verse 9, it reads, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. So what hope did Israel have if this is the report card for only their third king? Uh, not much at all, you could say. Um, if they're already that badly failing after, mm. after the third king, then you'd say there's no hope. But I think that this is a typical principle uh, that's shown uh, right from the beginning. Mm. Uh, Adam and Eve, first two sons, what happens? Mm. <laughs> Murder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a pretty bad start if the first brothers are fighting to that extent yeah. is there any hope for humanity no there's not yes there is because yeah. this was always god's plan that he knows just how badly flawed humanity is mm. and he knows how flawed kingship is yeah. is that he's pointed out these areas which are dead ends and yet that's exactly where israel is going to go mm. in every case with every king mm. and some of the kings will get it right some of the time but the reality is, is all of them will fall into this trap at some point yeah uh, and so when after you've had saul as the first king uh, becomes very proud even though he started off very humble mm. uh, david likewise incredibly humble serving others uh, not looking out for 
for being the top dog. Yeah. Uh, and yet by the end, uh, he's willing to kill people because he's yeah. just the one who's got the power to do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and clearly Solomon on the back of that, uh, a king who literally breaks every point of, yeah. the, of Deuteronomy 17. Yeah. Uh, everything that he's told not to do, yeah. he does do. Yeah. Everything that he should be doing, he doesn't do. Yeah. Uh, and so it's clearly... Uh, recognizing that kingship in this form won't work, mm. but like we show, like I showed in the way that we were intentionally setting up, setting this up, this was a a way of assessing the kings of Israel, yeah. and that's the right thing to be doing with it. But it was also always anticipating this as a signpost looking forwards to the time when Jesus would come mm. as the king who perfectly does this. He's not a king with lots of wealth. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he has to go and send Peter to go and catch a fish so they can <laughs> pay the tax. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have wives that are certainly not for political reasons and he doesn't mm -hmm. have any wife and yet the church is his bride. Yeah. Um, and so these things were always anticipating the human king who would mm. come yep. and do this perfectly. Mm. Uh, and so is Israel hopeless because kings one, two, and three have failed? Well, no. Yep. They were always known that they were going to fail and there was always a king coming who would do this perfectly. I think Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses four and five uh, show this whole principle that before creation, he had predestined mm. you that you would be adopted as his sons. Yeah. Uh, before creation, before they had done good or bad, yeah. God knew that he would have to send Jesus yep. to fix the problem that we would create. Yeah. Uh, and so this doesn't catch God by surprise. It's not a plan B. It's not trying to fix up what went wrong. Yeah. The intention with kingship, and that's part of the answer to the 500 years before, yep. is that the intention was always that human kingship would fail yeah. until King Jesus came and fulfilled it as it was supposed to be. Yeah. And if we keep going on down the list of the kings, so a few years ago we did an exercise with the students in Czech Republic as we were doing a Bible overview. Yep. And we got to the kings, and after we looked at Saul, David, and Solomon, we said, okay, the kingdom split. Let's look at all the kings in First and Second Kings and go through and come back next week and say, are they good, are they bad, or are they a mix the above? And I think um, we got down to, so from 19 kings of the kingdom of Israel, I think we only gave Jehu the thumbs up mm -hmm. um, from the kingdom of Judah. I think we thought four were a bit of a mixed bag, like they did a bit of good, but they also did some awful stuff, and there's maybe four that you would give the thumbs up to mm -hmm. as were reasonably good. And so from there, you know, we sort of came to the conclusion that if you go through First and Second Kings, the general theme of kingship could be summed up by what so often you see in these chapters when it's the record of the king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, mm -hmm. which is a t terrible, mm. terrible indictment if that's that's the record yeah. for eternity of yep. your kingship. <laughs> now, last week, Mark showed us that if Israel didn't drive out the nations, those nations would become a snare mm -hmm. to them. And I think this week you showed us that if they went after many, many foreign wives or many wives, uh, then they'd be tempted away. And first and second Kings really shows us that this is exactly what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, all of this is a really long-winded way of <laughs> asking the question. For us today, for Christians, mm -hmm. is this the foundation, and I'm sure there's other things can add on top of this, mm -hmm. of why it's, it's dangerous for Christians to think it's okay to date or to marry non-Christians? 
Yeah, um, it's a fascinating um, establishment of a principle that tells us that the human heart is easily deceived. Mm. Uh, and so it is one of the foundational passages. I think there's a whole lot of others in the Old Testament as well. Uh, but it's a very clear one that shows the uh, reasoning that goes on. Uh, don't don't think of a relationship as neutral mm. or something that you're in control of. The natural outcome of a relationship with somebody who follows another God mm. is that you'll end up following their God as well. Yeah. Now, that may not be a complete rejection of Yahweh, the king of Israel, mm. but the reality is, is you'll adopt that king as your king as well. Yeah. Uh, and so... It is a, it's a principle showing very clearly that some people have used this to say that what God was against was mixed marriages. Someone mm. from this nationality can't marry someone from that nationality. Someone of this skin color can't marry someone of that yeah. skin color. And I think that that's a completely wrong reading of mm. these passages. Yeah. What God's actually on about is the faith that the person holds. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, when Rahab becomes a member of the community of God's people, mm. She's not only just kept at a distance, she actually becomes a part of God's people and ends yeah. up being in, in the, the ancestry of Jesus. Yeah. Um, she's fully incorporated because mm. Yahweh becomes her God. Same in the story of Ruth. Um, yeah. It's not the principle of where the person comes from, but who their God is. Yeah. And so the danger of us is thinking, okay, this person shares a lot of things in common with me. They're the same nationality. They like my music. Mm. Uh, they think the same way I do about cars. Uh, therefore, they're a good marriage partner, yeah. good person to hang out with. But have you asked that question, what's their highest priority in life? Who is their yeah. God? Uh, and if that is not your God then you guys are going in two different directions. Yeah. No matter how much you like the same food or you enjoy going on holidays to the beach rather than the mountains, mm. the reality is that is the most important thing. And if yeah. you haven't got that right, then your relationship is doomed for failure. Yeah. It's now, just... I guess recognizing in that my, my own experience, <laughs> my wife comes from a family of a Christian married to a non-Christian. If they didn't date and get married, mm. Christy wouldn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and so recognizing that God in his sovereignty allows us to sometimes make mistakes and good things come out of it. This yep. is not a way for us to evaluate, oh, you came from a mixed marriage and therefore there's something wrong with you. Yeah. But this is a warning not for us to evaluate what other people have done, but a warning for us, mm. don't go down that path because there's danger there. So missionary dating is outlawed by this passage. Yeah, yeah. And I think the temptation or the the danger is that we always think we can change them. Yeah, yeah. We'll sway them yeah. to our way of thinking because our way of thinking is right. Yeah. The fact that you're already considering relationship with them shows that you've already shifted. Yes, and yeah. so I think there's a fundamental problem there yeah. of an unawareness of where your heart is actually at. You're actually being driven by the relationship that you desire with that person mm. rather than the God who says to you, don't go there. Yeah, yeah. You've, and already, that, you've already stepped outside of the boundaries that are safe. Yeah, and that's pretty challenging and confronting. Oh, incredibly confronting and, yeah. and, and incredibly difficult you know, in mm. a whole lot of contexts. In Thailand, um, many of the people in the church is probably 80% women to 20% men. Yeah. What do you do for a woman who says, okay, I really want to be faithful to this requirement, yeah. but there's no Christian men that I can marry. What do I do? Have I got yeah. to stay single my whole life? Yeah. How do you answer that? Yeah, same problem in Czech Republic <laughs> yep. as well. We just saw it time after time. Yeah, it's a real, a real struggle. Mm. I guess the shout out is if there is anyone in the church that is 
struggling yep. with this, then you know, speak to someone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't wait till it's too late. Yeah, yeah. And recognize yeah. there are situations which are complicated. Mm. Uh, this obviously comes up later in the Old Testament. People have married people from foreign nations. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the right thing to get rid of them. Yeah. Based on you've actually now established a relationship with them and what do you do with the, the yeah. it's, it's not a black and white situation with really easy to uh, implement commands. Yeah. Recognize relationships are messy and this is a complicated thing. There's a right way of going about this, not just a right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Now, to something a little bit easier, um, <laughs> I think in pastorally easier as well. So a new king was commanded to write out the law, mm. and I guess so he can learn it, and he can learn himself to fear the Lord his God. So basically, I think what you're saying was the king, although he's king, he's still a man, mm -hmm. and he's still under God, mm -hmm. um, and he's not outside of God's laws. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what role should Scripture take if this is a principle that we're seeing here. Um, what role should Scripture take in our lives today? So we aren't kings of Israel, so I'm assuming we're not to go out and buy a scroll and write out by hand uh, these laws. So what's the importance of Scripture in our lives? Yeah, uh, it might be a really helpful way of actually doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that we learnt in Thailand, um, going from understanding the Bible in our mother tongue mm. to another language, you had to slow down a lot to read passages, and just in doing that, mm. it was like there was new insights just because you'd slowed down and it wasn't going through fast. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe handwriting it out would be good for some of us. Mm. Um, I think clearly the thing that it's saying is that um, recognize that you are not the one who determines what is most important mm. uh, and what is right. You have yeah. to submit. Uh, and so scripture uh, coming out of the Reformation, sola scriptura, uh, one of these four solas that mm. uh, means scripture alone, doesn't mean scripture by itself, but yeah. scripture is the ultimate authority. And and the way that I've spoken about it at youth group is, you, is you're playing the paper, scissors, rock. Um, mm. And there's actually a fourth thing, there's a bomb, and the mm -hmm. bomb just trumps everything. <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. The scripture yeah. just trumps everything. Yeah. Is there reason? Yes. And you can use reason, but sometimes the Bible will come over the top of that and say, yes, it's unreasonable to expect this, but that's what the Bible expects, so you've got to do it. Yeah. Um, there's tradition. It's helpful, yes, but if a tradition is just established for tradition's sake mm. and Scripture says, actually, no, that's probably not the way to do it, it trumps it every time. And yeah. so I think that's how we need to think about Scripture is that Scripture is not a list of – it's not a checkbox that you have to go through and say, am I doing mm. these things? It's as I read that in conjunction with all of the other things I'm doing, mm. I'm going to keep coming back to that as my ultimate guide that says, this is where the, this is where I draw the line. And even though I would like it to be something else, Scripture says no. And so that's yeah. the final answer. Yeah. It's God's letter to us telling us what he expects and what he wants of us. Yeah and, yeah, and and even in that, that we don't have to write it out, shows that it's not just literalistic readings of it yeah, yeah. is the requirement. You've got to understand the principles behind that. If a king wrote this out, but it didn't lead him to trust in God, well, it was completely pointless. Yeah, yeah. And so he's doing the letter of the law, but he hasn't understand the spirit of the law. Yeah. And I think that's where we've got to get to as well, uh, understanding, not coming up with excuses or justifications for behavior that's mm. clearly trying to get around it, yeah. but understand what is the thing. Thing that this requires from me what's the principle what's the behavior the motive the attitudes yeah thinking about those things rather than just ticking off boxes yeah because the purpose of writing it out wasn't it was to learn to fear the lord or mm. to revere yeah and honor god so if if it's not doing that yeah 
I, then, I, yeah. I, I joked about it. It's not him giving, being given lines to write, but in a sense it is that the mm. teacher has the authority to say, this is what you've got to do. Yeah. And God has the authority to say to the king, who should be saying, I, I set the rules. And God yeah. says, no, you don't. Yeah. I set the rules and yeah. you need to follow them. Yeah. Hmm. Now, lastly, how does looking at the kings of Israel and Judah, and especially given these rules in Deuteronomy 17, how do these all point us to Jesus in a way that we can just really live now looking with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah, I, I, like as we've already talked about, the reality was that the kings of Israel from the very beginning failed. Mm. Um, and we're supposed to expect that. Yeah. Um, it's the natural outcome of the fact that we are sinful people. Uh, and yet what it was anticipating, this was a signpost that was saying this is what is the right thing, and when you don't do it, there are consequences of it. But recognize that this is what I still want, mm. and that's what you need, a king like this. And so yeah. I was always looking forward to the fact that there would be a king who came, al- who came along who is one of us. Yeah. And he's not interested in following the ways of the world. Mm. And he doesn't use their methodology. Uh, he's poor and he's humble and he leads by example. And he doesn't just tell us what to do. He enables us to do what we're supposed mm. to do. And so all of these things were preparing us for the reality of, look how good King Jesus is. He's not just a little bit better than King David. He's so much better that nobody could have anticipated a king as good as this. And yet that's what we always needed. And so it's showing very clearly that God knew what we needed from the beginning. He gave it to us. And so we can look back at that and say, Mm. how good is it to have Jesus as my king? And so as he's the king and then he expects me to do things, yeah. then it's a right response that, wow, I've got such a generous leader. I've got a a leader that cares for him, a leader that knows what I need, Mm. a leader that enables me to actually do these things. So these are not arbitrary commands that he's requiring and demanding of me. This is the right way to live that's for my best and for his glory. Yeah. And every king, political leader, hero that anyone might have has died and will die. Jesus died, rose again ascended to heaven, is seated on the throne, yeah, and his kingdom will never end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Way above everyone else. Way above the king yeah. of all kings. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks very much, Ken, for your time, and thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a great reminder that nobody in history could fulfill the rules that God had set out for a king over his people, not even during Israel's high points in their history, except for Jesus, the true and everlasting king who is our king. So please join me again next week as we continue choosing life in the book of Deuteronomy. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 